Well, good morning, my friends. Um, it is early morning, about uh, four o'clock. I'm doing part two of our series, The Wounds of Christ. Um, this message, The Wounds of Christ, from a, an article by uh, Kelly Smith from The Disciple um, from 325, 2016. This is for Thursday, April 15th. I pray that you are well. Grab your Bibles and let's go back to Isaiah 53. 53. You remember we're talking about the five wounds of Christ and we have talked about the crown of thorns. We've talked about the flogging and today we want to talk about the other three wounds that Jesus suffered upon the cross. Now, it is not, not um, to glorify uh, crucifixion as we talk about this. Um, crucifixion was the worst of extreme tortures that was inflicted upon slaves and criminals, according to Cicero. It was intended to humiliate the criminal, prolong his death with the nails uh, uh, were used to speed the death, but while it also intensified the pain. No movie can um, can adequately depict what Jesus has done, but if you've seen The Passion, um, the passion of Christ, you've probably seen the closest thing, I would guess, to what Jesus went through. I remember as they, I've seen it only once, um, as they were beating him, I wanted to just stand and shout and scream, quit beating him, because it was so intense. Um, and it was made to be that intense. Um, Matthew Henry says this about uh, about the blood and uh, the water that flowed from Jesus' side. He said, blood for remission, water for regeneration. Remember in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He says, blood for atonement, to place us at one with God, and water for purification as the water from his side um, uh, flowed, it brought for us our purification as well, the blood and the water. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Remember from Isaiah chapter 53 here, we're talking about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. The Jews don't see it that way. They see the suffering servant as, as plural, meaning, um, meaning the nation of Israel. And we know that the nation of Israel has indeed suffered um, greatly at the hands of many enemies and even at the hand of their God, um, our God. Uh, why? Because of their sin. You know, Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. We need to keep that in mind when we're living and we're walking through our life, that God will not be mocked. Even in this situation, although Jesus was mocked by um, his captors, um, they didn't understand the ramifications of what they were saying. They didn't understand that they were being used prophetically. Um, uh, they didn't understand uh, that everything that they did would be to fulfill prophecy. So as we continue on, we've looked at the um, the flogging and we've looked at the crown of thorns. We'll look at the nails. Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and uh, 34. 23, 33, and 34. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. 
and the criminals, one on the right side and one on the left. As they nailed him to the cross, uh, the place was called the skull, not so much because it looked like a skull, but because many times the bodies were left to just be, to decompose and the birds would eat it or the dogs would eat it. And then what you would have left is the skeleton. What a horrible place. And remember it was outside the city. It was outside the city, but it was a public spectacle it was made to humiliate, but also to warn anybody uh, that the Romans took this stuff very seriously. If you were a hardened criminal or if you were someone who was a zealot, someone who was trying to overthrow the Romans, they would make this as gruesome as possible so that you would be warned never to partake in anything like this. When they would win battles, there would be times they would go in to a village and they would nail many people to wood or to cross uh, crosses and uh, let them just hang there uh, so the people would be warned and each it would bring fear to each of the cities that they would go to. But look at verse 34, as, as the nails are driven into his side and as Jesus is being crucified, he's being mocked, he's the most excruciating pain uh, possible. Look at verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Now, Jesus wasn't freeing them of guilt. He wasn't freeing them. He was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was saying, um, not that they got forgiveness because they didn't know what they were doing. Ignorance is no, not bliss. But Jesus was showing his his heart and Jesus was showing his compassion even for those who would drive the nails through him and 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 do their worst. And remember the centurion as he saw Jesus die and saw all of these things happen and watched everything and heard every word. Said truly this was a righteous man. This was a son of God as he called out to his father. And and I wouldn't be surprised if one day when we're in heaven, we meet this centurion. That maybe that day was his final day in doing what he did. This is my imagination. And maybe he walked away at that, that time and just said, I will never be able to do this again without seeing this, this Jesus of Nazareth. And maybe at that point in his life, be able, being able to see this horrible crucifixion, being able to see the suffering and to be able to see that this was a righteous and a sinless man who was suffering. I, I like to believe that the centurion came to faith. Turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And again, when I say I like to see and I'd like to believe that he came to faith, that's not from scripture. This is me just uh, talking. Now, the next thing that happened to Jesus is that uh, his side was pierced. Let's look at John chapter 19, verse 31 through 34. John chapter, oh, excuse me. Yeah, John chapter 19, uh, 31 through 34, 31 through 34. Since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. Now, they didn't care about the Sabbath. The Romans didn't, but they didn't want to do anything to, to cause a riot. And so they wanted that to happen. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other uh, who had been crucified, on both one on both sides, remember, remember? And what they would do is they would, they would take a, a, a pole or a stick, something very strong, and they would break the break the leg bones so that they, the, the criminals could no longer push up and get a, uh, get a breath of air. And so it would, it would, 
it would hurry their death. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, which is a fulfillment that not a leg, not a bone was broken. Remember, his back was broken, his skin was broken, his muscles and everything were torn, but not a, not a bone was broken. Verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out water and blood. I read that earlier from Matthew Henry, blood for remission, water for um, this regeneration, blood for atonement, water for purification. It is this um, twofold thing that happened, and because of this side being pierced in the, in the water and the blood flowing, doctors have said we can, tie, we can tell that, that Jesus was dead, that the sack around his heart burst, and and in, you know, Everybody wants to romanticize that and say that Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart was definitely um, physically uh, burst and broken. Um, we know in this situation um, that his, his side was pierced. And we know that out of his side came blood and water. And I love what, what someone has said is related it to Adam. Remember, God put Adam in a sleep and out of his side he took and formed a bride. And out of Jesus' side, as blood and water flowed, out of his side, uh, the church was born. His bride was born. And so you can tie those together if you want. I'm just saying it's kind of uh, symbolic and it's something that someone has said. I'm not saying it's scriptural. I'm just saying what a picture that is, that out of the side of Adam came his bride and out of the side of Jesus came his bride as well. And you and I are part of that if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Jesus has been on the cross a long time now. And Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, 27 and 46. Matthew 27, verse 46. Let's go 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, which was noon, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., and about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalm 22 and 1. Psalm 22 and 1. In fact, Psalm 22 is probably the most prophetic look at the crucifixion, long before the crucifixion was even uh, part of man's history. And Jesus in this moment is in, a, in, a, in the darkness some have said this is God looking away because he can't look at sin. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. God can't look at sin and without turning away. God um, looks at Jesus, his son on the cross, come, becoming fully sin, and he is, he, Jesus on the cross, cries out to his father. Why have you forsaken me? Up until this time, we know that Jesus, before his captors, doesn't even complain. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was just led like a sheep to the slaughter. And not a word came out of his mouth. Not a cursing came out of his mouth. Uh, not a, hey, if, if I wanted to, if I, I'm, I'm telling you guys, if you continue to do this, no, no, he did not threaten and even on the cross, he cried out only to his father and he spoke in forgiveness as well. What is significant of this is that Jesus continues to carry in his body all of these scars. 
you and I, when when we sin and you and I, when we do things, we, we bear in our body the marks of that sin at times. You know, Paul talked about the, bar, the, the marks in his body from the things that he was saying. And he wasn't, he wasn't equating to the marks in his body to the nail-scarred hands or the pierced side or the, or the, 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 the punctures in the, uh, the crown of, of, of Jesus' head from the, from the thorns. He wasn't equating his suffering to Jesus' suffering, but he was saying, because of what I have committed my life to Jesus Christ, I bear in my body these marks of sin. But look at check Luke 24, uh, Luke 24, verses 38 through 40, 38 through 40. Let's go to 36 through 40. And as they were talking about these things, the road uh, disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. You know, people say the, G- the, the disciples were so hopeful and so excited and, and so holding on to the promise that Jesus would be resurrected. No, they were hiding behind closed doors and all hope was gone. Jesus appears to them and they're freaking out and they're fearful and you and I would be too. But what does Jesus do to to cause them to to recognize that it's him. Look at verse 38. And he said to them, why are your hearts troubled? Why do you why do doubts arise in your hearts? Um see my hands and my feet that it is myself. Jesus invites them to 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 physically touch him. Not just to believe in him and not just to believe that it is him, but he says, "No, no." Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. He still bears in his hands the marks, in his feet the marks, in his side the marks of the crucifixion. And and that is um, something that's important to you and I. The reality is that sin destroys and sin leaves its marks and sin is... Um, is not temporary. The only way that sin is removed from us is by asking Jesus Christ to come into our hearts and to forgive us of our sins. But the reality is the brokenness of our life remains. Uh, I, I equate it to this. If you're in prison and you get saved in prison, you don't knock on the cell door and say, hey, let me free I'm a Christian now. No, you pay the price for the crimes that you've committed. If you have broken relationships or you have broken and um, uh, um, things in your lives, the past doesn't get changed. It gets forgiven, but it's not as if it never happened because things do um, follow us, our sins. Again, that scripture in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's the change moving forward. There's the forgiveness moving forward. And let's look at Psalm 147, verse 3, as we wrap this up, as we, as we land this two-part series on the five wounds of Christ. Psalm 147, verse 3 is a fam- familiar portion of scripture, and one that you should memorize. It's just a few words. It says Jesus, about God, and about Jesus. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Now, he heals the brokenhearted. If it was gone, why would he bind up their wounds? It's still there. We still bear in our body the marks 
of sinful existence. Jesus bore in his body the marks of our sin that he took upon him. The scars, the thorns, the whipping, the beating, all prophesied in Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 53, and Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 20. He was willing to do that for you and I. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin, our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And he loved us so much that he was willing to pay the ultimate price so that you and I could walk in freedom. Let me pray for us. And Numbers chapter six, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you until we talk again.